Hello and welcome to EU History Explained. In this series we try to make sense of today's European Union by looking at its history. Today we're going to talk about the first and so far the only member states that has left the European Union, the United Kingdom. The UK refused to board the train in the 1950s and eventually joined only in 1973. And its relationship with the European Union has always been troubled ever since. As early as the 1930s, Winston Churchill is already championing European integration and even calls for the creation of a United States of Europe. But Churchill doesn't really see the UK taking part in this project. To him and to successive British governments in the years to come, the British Empire is much more than just a European power. It has strong transatlantic links and a Commonwealth that spans across several continents. These reasons, combined with the fear of opening up its heavily protected economy to the competition of European industries, will lead the UK to decide against joining the European Coal and Steel Community in 1951. The country is faced with a similar dilemma in regards to the proposal of a European Economic Community a few years later. On a geopolitical level, the British fear that their participation in the community might undermine relations with the United States and the Commonwealth. They are also suspicious of European federalism and of the supranational character of the community, fearing that this step could gradually lead to political integration and ultimately a political federation. But there are also economic considerations. In 1955, the UK has very little trade with the continent compared to the Commonwealth, and joining the community would mean the end of preferential treatment for the Commonwealth. Participation in the common market would also expose the country to competition from European industries. Finally, the prospect of a common agricultural policy would threaten the subsidies that British farmers benefit from, as well as inputs from the Commonwealth. In short, the UK finds itself with an impossible choice. On the one hand, British interests seem to be against joining the European Economic Community. But on the other hand, the community's creation without British involvement would be equally disastrous for British trade. Initially, the government takes a passive approach, not least because it banks on the failure of negotiations between the six. But when it turns out that negotiations might actually be successful, the new British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan comes up with what is known as Plan G. If European economic integration can be avoided, it must be transformed into something less harmful for British interests. This Plan G consists of a proposal for a looser free trade area covering the whole of Western Europe that would allow the UK to continue trading with the Commonwealth. However, this plan fails due to fierce opposition from French President Charles de Gaulle. As a result, the UK remains outside of the European Economic Community and falls back on a smaller free trade area gathering Western European countries that are not members of the community. In the early 1960s, a number of factors prompt the Macmillan government to change its policy and start pursuing membership. Most importantly, the success of the community and the risk of commercial exclusion for the UK, a cooling down of relations with the United States after the Suez Crisis and a gradual loosening of economic ties with the Commonwealth. 
the UK submits its first membership application in 1961. But there are problems right from the start, with the UK hoping to obtain exemptions from some of the community's requirement, including the common tariff, which threatens to hamper economic relations with the Commonwealth, and the common agricultural policy, which the UK is reluctant to join. De Gaulle is firmly against granting any concessions of this type, and opposes British membership on principle. He fears that the UK's entry will block the development of the common agricultural policy, which is key for French interests, and that the UK will be a Trojan horse for the US geopolitical interests in Europe. For these reasons, he vetoes British membership in 1963 and then again in 1967. De Gaulle is replaced in 1969 by Georges Pompidou, who has a more favourable approach to British membership, but yet he is still determined to avoid any downsides for the common agricultural policy. Therefore, the agreement on a permanent financial settlement for this policy becomes France's key condition for opening accession negotiations with the UK. As soon as negotiations start, a thorny issue soon arises, that of the UK's financial contribution to the community. The British believe that the requested contribution is disproportionate to what they would be receiving in return, considering that the community's budget is dominated by the common agricultural policy and that the British agriculture sector is relatively small. The British managed to negotiate some reduction, but the matter of their contribution will continue to strain relations with the community in the years to come. The UK finally becomes a member of the community in 1973, but it will soon single itself out as a peculiar member, with one foot always out the door. A mere one year after accession in 1974, the new Labour government calls for a renegotiation of British accession terms and obtains a correction for the British budgetary contribution. In 1975, a first referendum takes place in the UK to decide on continued membership in the community. On that occasion, 67% of British voters vote in favour of Remain. When Margaret Thatcher takes office as British Prime Minister in 1979, she embarks on a battle to cut the British financial contribution and obtains a substantial reduction. Throughout a term in office, she will maintain a very critical attitude towards the community, despite being a big fan of the common market. In the following years, British reluctance to participate fully in European integration takes the form of a number of opt-outs. In 1985, the UK decides to remain outside of the Schengen Agreement, which will, over the years, abolish internal borders within the community. When the Maastricht Treaty is signed in 1992, the British negotiate an opt-out from the social chapter and from the planned introduction of a European single currency. More opt-outs follow from the area of freedom, security and justice and from the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights. In the run-up to a second referendum on British membership to be held in 2016, the British government negotiates a special status for the UK within the European Union, including an exemption from the objective of an ever-closer union. However, these changes will never come into effect. In a referendum in June 2016, 52% of British voters vote to leave the European Union, 
and the countdown towards Brexit begins. After that, the UK and the EU start painful negotiations to establish a new relationship, with the UK switching its position from an insider with many opt-outs to an outsider seeking opt-ins. Because of a number of British red lines, the deal finally reached will, in economic terms, allow only for a free trade agreement, with the addition of a special protocol to safeguard the Irish peace process. Thank you for watching and don't forget to like, comment and subscribe to our channel. And stay tuned for the next episode of EU History Explained coming soon. This podcast is co-funded by the European Union. The European Commission support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.